0: Welcome to the online broadcast. I'm Corise Hendrick. I've been in the anti fraud space for over a decade, working with some of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And You've probably noticed, just like last week, somebody's missing. Someone is missing. Someone important. Brett Johnson is in Europe speaking at an event in Turkey, of all places, and I wish him well and I'm so proud of him and the success he's had. Over a year and a half ago, he hadn't spoken at a single conference. Uh, He hadn't brought any money into his family for a while and wasn't really sure what he was going to do. And in fact, he actually was thinking about going into a career of doing voiceovers, which is why he already had a, a great microphone for the podcast. And I am very privileged to have been able to watch that transformation from the very beginning. It's been about two years almost to the day that we started talking and I took a little bit of a risk. I gave him a hard time as well, uh, or intro to the podcast at the very beginning. Uh, You know that he doesn't let me forget it, but I think that it was for good reason. And I'm just super proud of him. I'm so proud of him. But unfortunately, the downside of his success is that there's probably going to be a few podcast episodes where you're going to have to listen to me. (laughs) And it's not just that I'm humble. I genuinely know that Brett has a much more exciting life story than I do. And I am okay with that because if it means going to prison for several years to have an interesting life story, I'm all right with being boring. So, you know, Brett did a great solo podcast and he really uh, left big shoes to fill because I got to tell you, I'm pretty nervous about this. I kind of think Brett's my crutch. I really like having a conversation with somebody rather than sitting in my office at home with a microphone and talking to myself. (laughs) Anyone that knows me personally knows I can talk a lot, but talking to myself isn't really something I do very often. But, you know... It won't be a normal thing to have us be doing single podcasts, but as we both grow our businesses and have to travel, it's becoming harder and harder for us to find time to record together. So we have some plans. We actually were both asked to speak at the same event in January, and so we're going to try to I record several episodes then when we're both in the same room, which will be weird (laughs) because usually, you know, we're several thousand miles apart. But so we do have plans to get more episodes going with both of us. And he has a couple weeks off for the holidays. So don't worry. Don't be stuck with this all the time, but it will probably happen here and there. Yeah. So I was gone last week and I was out of Seattle. I Sometimes my career as a consultant takes me to different places. And a lot of times it's San Francisco. It makes a lot of sense. I'm already on the West Coast and uh, there's a lot going on down there. So the original reason and the main reason why I went down there was to work with a new client on reducing their chargebacks and uh, through learning from their past chargebacks, and then also providing them with resources on how to respond to chargebacks correctly. That's just a huge passion of mine. And I, you know, not to plug myself too often, but that is what I do in my consultancy. And it just so happened that I got to to go to San Francisco when there was an awesome event called the Women in Trust event. It was its second one. There is a merchant who I think very highly of who saw a need in our industry to get women together and just talk about the unique benefits and challenges that we have as women in this very emerging industry, and I was lucky to be part of it. Honestly, when I first attended a industry conference, I was one of the only women. I was certainly, I think, the only woman under 30 at the event, and that's certainly not an age joke, just that was the way it was, and there weren't very many. It was probably like 10 to 1, maybe. And when I spoke at the first conference I spoke at in 2010, I believe I was the only female merchant on the agenda. There might've been a couple of solution providers, but I was it. So to see this industry blossom with just some amazing kick-ass females is, is pretty cool. And any way I can support that, I am on it. We had a women in fraud and payments breakfast at CMP last year and I'm already working on a much bigger programming and a, maybe a better chunk of time when people aren't hungover and tired uh, <laughs> to get together. And it's not it's not to commiserate. It's honestly it, hearing everybody talk made me realize, oh, I guess I didn't realize that I thought that because of a gender thing. But it's nice to know I'm not alone and to talk about ways that we get over certain things. There was that, and then I also got to have dinner with people from the CNP team. So almost all of them are in Connecticut. The SVP of the group is based outside of San Francisco and works remote as well, like I do, but they were all in town to check out the hotel and get that started for the expo in May. So that was exciting. So crammed a lot in. I also had a couple other meetings too that were exciting for some stuff in 2019 that I'm working on. So yeah, it wasn't to say that I was on vacation or that it was better than recording the podcast. It just was really important for me to do that. Let's see here. And yeah, Brett already outed me. I'm all about the outline. So- I'll, I'll be. I'll be uh, referencing my notes quite a bit. and was like making sure that I got everything. So as far as the topic today, I really thought a lot about this. Like first I was like, well, what do I know that would be interesting without Brett on there? And then I kind of looked through my LinkedIn messages and my emails from people in the industry and saw a very common theme that a lot of people are struggling with or do struggle with career development and personal growth and figuring out like, where's that next step for me and where's the next opportunity and how do I get there? And what do I do? And I'm not going to claim that I know all the answers, but I certainly have had a a unique career trajectory. And I've also, because I've worked with so many of you guys in the industry, I've been able to observe a lot. So I'm just going to provide some thoughts on that. I, once I decided that, topic. Then I was writing with a merchant that is a good friend of mine and also listens to the podcast and said, I've got to do a podcast by myself. Um, I don't really know what to talk about. And uh, he suggested a few other topics. And so then I, you know, my self-doubt kicked in and I went to LinkedIn and said, okay, what do you guys want to talk about? Because I never want to assume that I know everything that's going on on the front lines. I haven't been on the front lines for six years. So I constantly just want to make sure that I'm providing whatever information you want to know. And kind of it was an even dead heat between that and a couple other topics. But when I really got to thinking about it, I was like, this is what was on my heart. This is what I feel like, you know, maybe is needed. Maybe this isn't the best time, like right before the holidays. But I do think that the new year provides a fresh start and fresh focus for us in all areas of our life including our career so maybe that's a good way to think of it yeah that's why I came to this topic I do think that there's probably gonna be another time that I'm gonna be doing a solo podcast and when that happens I will dive into kpis and metrics as well and some operational stuff best practices as well as I really want to do a full podcast on chargebacks which I could probably do six of them because it's my favorite topic in the world and I know everyone questions my mental health when I say that but I'm problem solver. I feel like I've I've got a good handle on those. And I really feel like a lot of companies make some pretty key mistakes. And so I just want to help everybody who listens to this not make those for 2019. That you can look forward to in January. I'm going to dive into this topic. I don't have all the answers, but I think that some of the reasons why... It's so hard to navigate a career in fraud um, or payments or anything, whether you're a merchant or a provider, though I would argue that the provider or vendor track is a little bit more normal in quotation marks, just because, you know, you have sales, you have marketing, you have those things. Merchants and fraud. This is a new industry. I mean, I started 13 years ago and there really weren't fraud departments when I worked with merchants. There were very, very few like Expedia and Amazon and Apple. They had fraud departments, but not many others. And so it's really, really grown a lot, especially in the last 10 years. And especially in the last three with EMV coming out and everything else, you all know that fraud has increased three times online in the last three years. So we've been busy and that means that there are going to be new opportunities, but it also means that we're kind of like a teenager in the stage of the industry and it's kind of awkward and we're figuring stuff out and... We are feeling independent. We feel like we're starting to get stuff going, but we, there isn't as many things in place for a career growth or for a lot of things that there would be in another industry. Like if you're in marketing, you know, exactly the career path. There are streamlined titles, um, across all different companies. Uh, There are not that in fraud. Uh, we did a, I helped create the fraud operations survey for 2018 for CNP, This year, And we asked people, you know, what job titles they had, and we knew that they'd be all over the map, but hundreds. Um, And we put them up on a slide for the presentation just to demonstrate there's nothing streamlined in this industry right now. I think we'll get there. But it's really hard. Like if you're the a lot of times you have an analyst doing the work of what a manager would do in another company, it's kind of all over the place. And so it's difficult to know what's my next step. So I think that that's part of it. It's also just not every company values fraud in the same way. And so there's different compensation packages. Yes, I know that that is something everyone wants to know. I have been blessed in my career to be able to create several surveys to help inform the industry. And this is one I've been wanting to do for so long, but getting people to talk about their salaries is a challenging task as well as, you know, wanting to do it right by geography and everything else. So it's on my radar. It's on my wish list, but uh, not thinking that Santa's going to provide that just yet, but I'm still, you know, I'm still holding out hope for it. So that's part of the reason why it's hard in this industry, right? Like knowing what's the next step? And is it in my company? Or is it outside of my company? So one of the things I thought about, you know, every path is different. And I don't usually like talking about myself. I think that's probably pretty common. I've actually had a few of you tell me that I'm way too humble. That's just (laughs) how I am. It just doesn't come naturally to brag. Uh, Because I genuinely think that my career especially is one part luck and timing and another part hard work. And so I don't ever want to take Credit, as well as there's a lot of credit along the way that goes to a lot of people. But I feel like this might be helpful to know that there is not a straight line in career paths. And I've definitely learned a lot from my journey in my career. And so I'm going to kind of share a little bit about my story and then go through some of the lessons that I've learned from it and hope that that's helpful. I started, this is, I feel like I'm about to like reveal my dirty little secret because I try not to dwell on this but i started in this industry as a college dropout and a single mom uh yeah i mean it, it's not far from my mind that 12 years ago i was making 11 dollars an hour and working the 5 a.m shift with a two-year-old on my own that was hard but it also made me hustle like nothing else. She was my reason, and I worked really hard to give her a better life, and that was important to me. Uh, Not to say that not everybody works hard for their children. I know they do. Like I said, I've also had some luck and some timing. So I actually started out in the call center. I learned something interesting last week at the Women in Trust event in San Francisco, and that is, I swear, almost everybody in fraud starts out in customer service in one way or another. And I think that that's fascinating, partially because in some ways, like we've talked about before, customer service and fraud have competing interests, right? So customer service is trying to make sure that the customer is happy and satisfied and that they get their order. And fraud is making sure that the company's protected. And that may mean not giving them their order. But I think that customer service gives you such a good view of the company in various ways and a really good understanding of your customer and transactions and what's normal and what's not. And sometimes there's already an established department to transfer into. Other times you're handed a stack of spreadsheets or chargebacks and said, figure it out. I think a lot of us that came up this way are self starters and naturally curious. And I think that's a huge part of being on the fraud prevention side. Um, it's just having that natural curiosity and a strong sense of justice as well. And I definitely have all those things, sometimes a little too much sense of justice, but that's another story. Um, (laughs) So I started on the call center of a merchant processor. I'm actually two of them. One was right before I got pregnant and then uh, I got really sick for my pregnancy. So I had to take a lot of time off. And then once I was ready to go back into the workforce. I'm not going to get into all those details there. But once I was ready to get back in the workforce, I went to another app merchant processor. And between those two companies, I had over five months of training in the payments process, in chargeback rules and regulations, in everything from downloading credit card terminals, the T330s or 380, Trans380s, download them, reset them. So e-commerce was still kind of coming up. But the second processor that I worked for was focused on e-commerce and had portfolios like Silicon Valley Bank and through VeriSign, which is now a PayPal gateway. So we had a lot of online companies. And I started out answering questions, everything from your statement to why did I get this charge back to my credit card terminal doesn't work anymore, all those things. And I really had a natural curiosity and fraud and it gravitated to me. And I started talking in the risk department in my lunch break at, in the lunchroom. I would ask them like, what kinds of calls do I send your way? And I just, really wanted to know how it worked and what made somebody bad and or what made something questionable and how can I help and that's just always my natural go-to anything is I want to how can I help you rather than how can you help me so I think that that was very helpful to them in the department and when a position came up in the department the pay was significantly more so that was and the hours were better that was definitely a incentive to me but I also wanted to be challenged and at that point I'd been in the call center for a year and a half and I felt like I kind of met my plateau. So went to the risk department. I was handed the Silicon Valley bank portfolio, probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me. For those of you that don't know, they really specialize in companies in Silicon Valley. Go figure. (laughs) This was in 2006, 2007. One of the very first companies that I worked with was called Facebook. And you've probably heard of it at the time they were, I'm not going to say what month. And actually Brett's going to be so happy that I shared the story because he was trying to get me to share it at the, in the intro. And I just, I don't know. I don't tell the story often, but I feel like eh, enough time's gone by and, you know, whatever else. They were in a month of the excessive chargeback monitoring program. They didn't understand why they're getting chargebacks, what was happening. I was reviewing their transactions, but didn't, you know, know any of the customer details. And I had to have several phone calls with them. And one time I remember very clearly, I said, you need to have somebody reviewing these advertisements before they go online, because some of these are very clearly fraud. If you just have somebody look at them, you'll know that they're fraud. And the person I was talking to said, I can't afford to hire somebody to review orders. I only have two people working for me in my loft apartment. <laughs> in case any of you uh, hasn't guessed, that person was Mark Zuckerberg. Um <laughs> <laughs> and that was so long ago, and I know so many people are like, how come you didn't ask for stock? I mean, that wasn't my job. I, I also got off the phone with him once and said, this guy thinks he's going to be the next MySpace. Um, <laughs> this is why I'm not in investing or the stock market. Clearly, I didn't realize that he was on to something. That was the type of merchant that I got to work with back then. I got to help them reduce their chargebacks, uh, whether it was due to fraud or service issues or whatever from that extra step away, but I learned the base level strategies of that. Um, I was reviewing merchant orders to make sure that the merchant wasn't fraudulent as well as that they weren't being taken advantage of by fraud. And that was really the time that Brett was starting to ramp up and carding was starting to get big. So uh, definitely if you were to draw a graph of our careers, they would totally cross paths probably more than once. One of the companies that I worked with when I was doing that job as a risk analyst was Bag Borrower Steel and they were about to be featured in sex in the city, the movie, they had a lot of fraud for obvious reasons. When you're going to rent out handbags online and eBay is just starting to be a big thing. And you don't at the time have anything in place to determine if you're sending it to the person that they say they are, or that they're going to return your stuff. It's going to happen. So I worked with them quite a bit and I kind of had some personal reasons for why I wanted to work with them a little bit more than I did. But honestly, I worked with everybody a lot and actually got in trouble by my boss at the time for doing too much for our merchants. Um, I feel like that paid off in the end. So I did go the extra mile, but it definitely paid off in many, many ways. One of them was that Bagbar Steel was looking for somebody to own this process. And I was looking to move to Seattle from four hours east in Spokane because my boyfriend at the time lived here. (laughs) Um, he's now my husband. So I would say that that was a safe bet. But uh, that was like, yeah, 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago now. Yeah. So I was looking to make a switch and they were looking for someone to hire. And that was kind of how that happened. But man, did I not understand what I was getting into being on the on the processing side, you don't always understand everything that a merchant deals with. And I would say takeaway, like side note, to people that are listening from vendor companies. That is a lesson I learned that I don't know how many times I would say, why doesn't the merchant know this? Or why don't they do this? They're not reading the handbook. You know, they don't know the processes and, and rules as much as we do. And also just everything is different. Everything that you measure, everything that you look at, everything you have access to is way different on the merchant side than it is on any vendor side. And every merchant company is different too. I learned that very quickly. <laughs> as soon as like a couple months in, I'm like, oh, this is why they didn't have access to it. Um, And this is back in the day with like very rudimentary tools, but we had to create our own system because there was only one fraud provider and it didn't work for our unique business model. So I got to learn about that, like product development and creating a product. I did everything because I had to, and I, one could argue that I worked way too much. I never took a weekend off. I worked at nights. I would, you know, go pick up my daughter at daycare, get her dinner, put her in bed and work till 11 o'clock at night. It was insane. I probably gave way too much of myself to that company, but I wanted it to be perfect. And I know a lot of you understand that, like when fraud is on your shoulders, you will do what you have to do to make sure that your company's protected. You take that very seriously. So that was me. But it was a startup and it wasn't doing as well. So after two years, I kind of realized writing was on the wall. And ironically, I left the week that the investors all walked away from several million dollars of investment. It was also during the recession. So that didn't help their successes either. One thing I would add is that halfway through that, I started to get involved in a trade association. I was on the chargeback committee. I feel like that's super nerdy and like saying I was on the AV club, which there's nothing wrong with the AV club. Just, you know, they are, uh, (laughs) sometimes known for for being a little nerdy. And I feel like saying that I was a member of the chargeback committee is, is like that. But I gotta be in the room when people were like, there's this thing going on and what do we call it when someone uses their own card, but they claim that it's fraud and somebody came up with friendly fraud. A lot of cool opportunities of meeting other people in the industry that way and i spoke at my first conference while i was at bag bar steel and that's one reason why i try to get merchants from other companies that aren't just the big name companies to speak at conferences now because i know that everybody's got a story to tell and sometimes it doesn't really matter how big their brand is everyone has something you can learn from so um moving right along through those connections in the chargeback committee, I knew people at Expedia and they, speaking of this issue of friendly fraud, they had an issue coming up quite a bit with their chargebacks. They wanted somebody to really own that process, create a process around how to manage these. How do we determine which ones are true fraud, which ones aren't? Um, What do we do with each of those? All of those things. So I was hired to do that. And I definitely know that it was through building those connections at conferences and events and committee meetings that that happened. And that was an awesome opportunity. And eight years later, they're still using that process. And I've heard from several people, it saves several million dollars a year. So I'm proud of that. And it's because of my crazy brain and understanding chargebacks in a unique way that I was able to put that in place for them. And to my knowledge, that was the first process of its kind at the time. So towards the end of that process, I was asked to stay on and sustain the project. I learned a lot of things during those switches. One was that I'm not a sustainer. I'm just not. I love to build things and fix things and go in and change things. And I'm really a strategy person, but I'm not somebody to sustain. I think that it's so important to have those people because that's what keeps the world go round. But I just learned that about myself that I like to fix things and help people. I also learned that I really was spoiled being a big fish in a little pond at a startup. Uh, Being a small fish in a big pond wasn't for me. I think that there are a lot of people that it is for, and you can learn a lot. But the other good thing, though, is I was able to learn so much from them, from their fraud operations, from just the stellar humans that were managers at the time of that organization. Almost all of them are now in other places and doing well, and I am lucky that I get to keep up with them and call them my friends. But I learned a lot. So I think that just soaking everything in and every opportunity that you have and learning everything you can and making as big of a difference um, really helped me. And I had grown a reputation with that trade association as somebody who knew a few things and who was passionate and who worked hard and um, who contributed and who understood the mission of the organization. And so I was asked to come on as the U.S. program manager. Actually, there was another consulting thing in between Expedia and, or short-term project in between Expedia and MRC, but I'll skip past that for now. And for a time, nobody needs to hear me talk about my life story for the entire hour. That was just so many cool opportunities. I was the only person in the office most of the time I was there that had ever worked in fraud or payments, and especially both in that company, in that organization, I was able to work with 450 merchant companies. And if they had a question, I was the person that they asked. And I really made myself helpful. I made sure that I answered their questions. If I didn't know the answer, or if I felt like I kind of did, but I wanted to make sure I would go out and ask people, Hey, I know that you do this. What do you think of this? Everything from accepting Bitcoin to what markets should we enter and account takeover came to play during that time. So that was pretty exciting. I helped create the gamers Well, will help facilitate and support the gamer safety alliance the payments committee which was with so many big companies focused on payments like just so many cool things plus i got to take my husband and daughter to a couple of cool uh, european locations for conferences that was fun and just learned a lot and met so many cool people and not only were those people like professional contacts a lot of them became my friends just because A lot of us that are in fraud, we have a lot in common and we think similarly and just there's some kind of camaraderie there. And I was lucky because that helped me get a lot of contacts that I could then help other people because, oh, I know this person or that person. Let me introduce you. I've introduced Target and Walmart to each other to have them help. What are you seeing? What am I seeing? That kind of thing. And this was several years ago. Obviously, they know each other well now. (laughs) That was a great jumping off point. But on the personal side, you guys might be able to tell that during that time of my life, I worked way too much, traveled a lot, I worked too much. There was a lot of stress and some tumultuous things that happened during my time there leadership and stuff that just caused a lot more work on my shoulders. And I just worked myself to to the point where I literally still have long term chronic health issues. And I needed to kind of not get off the crazy train, but I needed to get off the crazy train. And not that I'm calling that particular job the crazy train. It's more just I think that knowing that I didn't have a college degree, knowing that other people had something that I didn't, knowing that I was the only person that my child counted on until she was six or seven and I married my husband. But still, I always want to carry my weight and take care of her. That put a fire under me that made me work extra hard. And I was type A. I feel like I'm recovering now. And I just it wasn't good for me. And so I was like, oh, well, what do I do? And as I was leaving CMP, I did take another job that I was under the impression was much different than what I came into. I'm sure that's happened to a few people that are listening. And I realized, oh, this is just the same thing, different story. And this isn't right for me. So I had to make a tough decision after three months. A few people who I really considered friends who were observing things from the outside, either from vendors or other places that they were like, oh, this is not a good place to be. I'm like, okay, I need that validation. I, around that time, Steve Casco at CMP reached out to me and he didn't have a position open, but he had heard of me. And I think probably more, he'd heard of my connections. He flew me out to the Boston area and I had no idea why I was going, but I got on the plane. And I mean, I knew that we wanted to talk about like working together, but I was like, I'm not moving to Boston. So I don't know why I'm going, but okay. And he made me an offer that I just couldn't, I call it a godfather offer because I couldn't refuse it. Um. (laughs) So anyway, made me an offer to work from home, work part-time for CMP, and I had always wanted to do consulting because I love to problem solve, but I'm not good at sales. I'm not good at marketing myself. I know what I'm good at. I'm great at reducing chargebacks. I'm good at knowing fraud. I'm pretty good at knowing payments, operations, stuff, but sales and marketing, not something I've ever spent any time in my life. in. so I was like, I don't know if I really can be good at consulting but what working with CMP did was it gave me a base paycheck that I could then use to pay, you know, the bills that I needed to, and build my consultancy slowly. And I can say that now that it's been four years, um, the last six months have definitely been the best. And but it's taken me that long to build it to be steady, to be, you know, that part of my my work to be consistent. Um. Part of that's my own stuff. I let my own stuff get in the way. Like, I don't think that it would take everyone that long. Anyway, so that really helped me. And that also gave me the ability to help merchants in this industry that I just found is my passion for a lot of reasons, not just because I was one, but because I feel like in a lot of ways, merchants in the CMP world are underdogs, kind of get screwed a lot of different ways. And why isn't there somebody there to kind of help everyone out? CMP gave me the ability to still create conference content that would be helpful to help people do their jobs better, to get merchants together, to write articles that would help them in their jobs. So that was important. That was a good outlet for me. And the way I saw it was working for CMP was helping the industry in a micro macro level, sorry, macro, and consulting was helping the industry on in a micro level. So done that for several years. I still do work with CMP, as you guys know, but I'm not in the same capacity, not at a full part-time role. I will be resuming some of those duties in January. That's a whole other thing. But basically, okay, long story short, the last four years, I have been choosing my own adventure. And it's been kind of scary, but these jobs weren't anything that was created before, but they're things... and. I have been offered some really cool opportunities to help great companies um, in various ways. Some of them are Fortune 100, others are startups. One of them I'm working with right now is a fintech company that I just really believe in what they do and really want to help them in that. And they haven't ever been in the merchant side of things. And I guess my official role title for them is merchant strategist. But I'm really able to kind of pick and choose. And I know that that sounds like a dream job, but let me tell you how many hours have gone into getting to this point. It's 13 years in the last few years, I've run into a few people that have like one year, two year under their belt and fraud, and they say, I'm gonna be a consultant or I'm gonna become a consultant next year. That's my goal. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 like <laughs> you've only worked in one vertical, and you're now gonna go to multiple verticals and tell people how to do their job. Like, that sounds dangerous. I I know that I'm only in this role because I've been given the opportunity to literally work with hundreds of merchants and be able, and they've trusted me with their information and they trust me to tell me when there's a new fraud trend or just to complain to me about something or i have a few people that just like send me an email to just complain and i'm okay with that because actually it helps me understand what's going on in your guys's world i totally miss the front line sometimes i'm lucky that i'm that person and sometimes i joke that i feel like the fraud therapist or the fraud priest because people confess things um or tell me secrets or tell me when they're looking for a job which happens a lot and all those other things. And I really just feel like I've found my purpose in helping merchants. And that sounds so cheesy, but I hope you guys know it's genuine, not genuine cheesiness, just genuine feeling, genuine passion. After hearing that really long, windy story about my career, which I'm now realizing I have to listen back to this. It's going to be cringeworthy for me, but I hope that you've learned a few things. And here's kind of what I came out like when I was sitting down thinking about my path, I had to make a lot of sacrifices, take a lot of risks, like take a lot of chances. And sometimes they were the right ones. And sometimes they weren't. And either way, I learned from them. So I don't feel like anything was a mistake. I definitely have things like specific things that I've done in my career that I'm like, that was, you know, not good. But I do feel like trusting my gut and my intuition for every time a job opportunity has come along has been really important for me. And I've been super lucky the last few years, probably the last six years of my career. I'm often offered positions, but I feel like I've found my home in having five different jobs that all inform each other. They all, you know, are sort of related, but I like the diversity. I like the flexibility. I like being able to help multiple companies as opposed to one. So that's a decision I've made. Also, I can't relocate. Not currently. My daughter's in high school now and she doesn't need another reason to go to therapy when she's older. So, you know, sticking in Seattle, at least till then is a huge priority for me and my husband and everything else and our family. The biggest thing I can say when people ask me, like, and I cannot tell you guys how many times I get emails saying like, how do I grow my career? How do I start in fraud? How do I go to the next job? Okay, so I kind of fell into it at this company, but I don't know what to do to go to the next company. And I don't have all the answers, like I've said, but I do feel like, okay, so if how do you start in fraud? Think at the analyst level, getting to manual review orders is one of the best ways to understand Fraud behavior and human behavior, and what does it look like? And then, if you like the strategy piece or the rule setting or whatever it is, then dive into that and learn. I think one of my best qualities, especially the first several years of my career, was just wanting to learn. I didn't assume that I knew everything ever. I just soaked everything up, whether it was internally from other departments, whether it was from management, CEOs, investors, conferences, especially just soaking it up, even if it didn't have anything to do with my current role. I just wanted to learn. I just have that natural desire to learn. So I think that's you know how you start in fraud. I think that the best people in fraud, especially in an analyst level, have an attention to detail, curiosity, sense of justice. There's definitely qualities in human that you can train, but you, or that you can't train is what I mean. So there's qualities in somebody that makes them good in fraud that you can't train. You can train how to analyze an order or how to write rule sets or whatever the duties are. I've definitely had some clients that have hired people that have worked in fraud before that come. I mean, it's just this constant thing of, well, at my old company, we did. Well, at my old company, well, at my old... Having that attitude isn't going to help you because you're going to be branded pretty quickly as a know-it-all or somebody who thinks that you know everything, and that's not going to help your career. I would say that just meeting so many people and always being nice and helping them and being helpful has just been a huge benefit to me in my career. I haven't helped them because I want it to help my career. It just has. And I think that anyone can do that at any level. You don't have to be, you know, supporting 400 e-commerce companies to be labeled as somebody who's helpful. I can think of several merchants who have a great reputation inside this industry as somebody who, if you have a question, you can call them and no matter how busy they are, they will answer your call. And that's, I think that's helpful. And like I said, some of these things aren't gonna apply to you or they aren't gonna be interesting to you. That's okay, take from this what you want to what are you best at? What gives you passion? When I was going from Expedia to the trade association, I was realizing like, Hmm, what do I, do I want to keep being on the merchant side? Or do I really love this part of my life that I'm just volunteering in right now in helping other merchants, like, because they're all reinventing the wheel and how do we get information to everybody in various ways? And so that was important to me or, When I started my consultancy, I started out by saying that I was going to focus on fraud and chargebacks and payments and I can do anything. And I did do a lot. Like I saved a very large company, like $5 million a year in just looking at their credit card payments and what they were paying and renegotiating their rate with their current payment processor and on their current contract. All because I understood that world because I came from that and I knew what was fair pricing and what wasn't and saving them like $5 million a year by doing that. And I grossly undercharged, but that's okay. Cause I, now it's okay. Cause I, I had no idea how much I could say them, but I was kind of doing everything. And when I was saying I would do everything, that wasn't where my heart was. It was just like, Oh, I'll do whatever, you know, comes my way. And I think that's normal. But what I learned is when I started to really focus on what do I like to do, like in all these projects that I've gotten to do, what's my favorite. And I just kept coming back to chargebacks. And it just so happened that there's no other consultant that I know of that solely focuses on chargebacks. So that helps me too. But What interests you? Is it the details? Is it strategy? Is it operations? Is it managing people? Is it working with the bigger industry? Or is it just working, you know, not just, but is it working for a merchant company? Or is it working for a provider? There's a lot of merchants who are now on the provider side. I joke with a few of them that, and um, I call them token merchants, but really it's just, uh, it, you know, it's really helpful to have that expertise on that side. And in some cases they pay better. So there's an option for you too. If you're on the vendor side, I'm sorry, I don't have as much information for you only because I really haven't been on that side, but I do have some things I wrote out towards the end, but hopefully this is helpful for people on the vendor side, like understanding the people that they are talking to every day. A lot of them are overworked, underpaid. I mean, it's crazy. When we did the fraud operations survey for CMP, we saw that between, gosh, I'm gonna get the numbers wrong, but like from a small company to all the way up to, until a company was making almost a billion dollars a year in revenue, the average fraud team size was two to three people. That doesn't mean that there's less work or more work or anything. I mean, no, it does mean that there's more work. That doesn't mean that there's less work and that they're not needed. It means that- (laughs) this industry is grossly understaffed. And so people in fraud are usually, you know, wearing five hats and doing 400 things at once. And so if they don't get to, you know, reply to your email, now you might possibly have better understanding of why. So, I mean, but also you guys play a very important part in supporting this industry. So please don't get me wrong in that at all. Focusing on what you're good at and really... What you love to do is going to make a world of difference. I found that when I'm doing things that I love, other people see that and it just gravitates like other people come my way and ask me for help or come to me with a job opportunity or a, you know, consulting contract or whatever it is. If I didn't love what I did, not as many people would want to be around me because I wouldn't be fun to be with. I think that's true for everyone. (laughs) Network, network, network. Oh my gosh. Both internally and externally of your company. There are people, and some people are coming up to the top of my mind real fast, who go to networking events, go to conferences, and you can just tell that they're doing it because they feel like, what's in it for me? Oh, I want to meet you because I know that you know a lot of people, that kind of thing. That isn't genuine, and that's not somebody that someone's going to want to help later down the road or introduce to somebody who's a hiring manager or anything like that. The people that you want to help, the people I always want to help, are the people who genuinely want to get to know somebody else or genuinely want to learn. They have a passion for learning and they want to connect with people because they want to connect with people, not because of what's in it for them. So I think that's super important internally in your company. I know that this is something that I also get asked a lot. Like how do I get other people to understand what I do and why it's important? I think I said on a previous episode, when you ask that question, I feel like you're asking it in the wrong way, but Um, Really, it's you know how can I help them understand what my team does? What how can I help them understand what I do? So you can also use the LexisNexis True Cost of Fraud survey to help demonstrate the importance. So for every one dollar we get in fraud in our company, it actually costs us three dollars. Because we're now out the product and the money, and we have to pay chargeback fees, and we have to pay for my team to respond to that chargeback or put it in the fraud system, and we have to pay for our fraud systems. It's expensive. Get them, or not get them, but help them understand why it's important that you do what you do and that fraud orders don't come in blinking red lights. You don't have a magic wand that knows exactly what the fraud is, that you're continually trying, and then also share your metrics. Up, kind of up the flagpole. So I started doing this at Backwater Steel, and it was very effective in communicating to all of the C-level people. So you know, chief marketing officer and chief operations and CEO and all that. What I was doing and what we were accomplishing, and it actually gave the CEO several wins to be able to brag about to the investors. So if you're in a startup, that can be helpful. So I tracked chargebacks and really made note of when they you know, were going up or going down and explained why and provided fraud numbers and all of that. And it was just a monthly thing I did. Nobody asked me to do it, but I was sharing out with them what we did. And I think also like sharing your team's wins in a way that can be digestible by other people that don't understand fraud is super important too, because a lot of times they're like, ah, we don't really know what they do. And if they don't really know what you do, they don't really know how valuable you are to your company. And I can tell you a lot of the people I've worked with in other departments throughout my life in different companies, I still keep in touch with, and they've been helpful to me in various ways and I think I've been helpful to them. So it's important to network internally just as much as it is important to network externally. And there's so many other benefits from networking internally. A lot of times you can get other resources, new resources, because people understand more about what you're doing and what your needs are. You're not just going to them when you have a budget request. You're Sharing parts of the story with them every single month. Well, and the other reason why it's so important to network internally is because a lot of those other departments can help you and be part of you know your front line. Like we talked about with customer service. I once ran into someone in the bathroom who worked on the marketing team, and she said something about how she was seeing something weird coming through the Google Affiliates network. And when she started to describe it, I went, "Oh my gosh, that explains why I'm getting chargebacks for these because they such." I couldn't understand why anyone would steal a credit card. And buy a ten dollar membership that really has no value unless you're, you know, making a purchase because you paid a membership to get a discount. Basically, that explained it. I, I mean, if the marketing department didn't understand what we did or what why fraud mattered, I don't think I would ever would have had that weird encounter in the bathroom to find out that that was what was happening from that fraud channel. Things like that. So making yourself available and accessible and not treating people like they're dumb. Um, also, not being the no person in the meeting all the time—I've been that person. You sometimes we take our job so seriously about like protecting the company and the bottom line, and we really look at one percent of transactions, kind of forget that ninety-nine percent of them are good, and that's who pays our paycheck. These are all things I've had to learn the hard way. So don't think I came—I started out like this. Um, and anyone who worked with me back then would tell you that probably I, I learned a lot. I was also young, so that was part of it too. But you know, as a 27 year old manager. So that was, you know, kind of crazy. But yeah, so I learned that the hard way. I took that so seriously that when other people in the company would say, oh, we have this new business model, we're doing this new promotion, we're working with this TV show, I'd be like, why? no, their, their viewers are not the right people that we want, or no, all fraud looks like this. Or I'd also use anecdotal information instead of analytical information. That was like kiss of death. Very important to use metrics and analytics to share your story internally with cross-functional teams and not just, well, there was this one time and this one fraudster did this because that's not the true picture. And also then they get confused and think that all fraud looks like that or that that always happens or that that never happens or whatever it is. So I've learned that as well. And as my grandmother says, I am a student of the School of Hard Knocks. I think I have my doctorate degree. So a lot of lessons, but hey, if people can learn from them, then they're not mistakes, right? Another thing I thought about was consider specializing or cross-training. So that sounds... Kind of counterintuitive what i mean by that is it kind of goes back to what i said about like figuring out what you enjoy and what you're good at there's a lot of different facets of fraud now that there than there was before um you know i kind of had to do everything uh now especially for bigger companies you can just focus on one thing do you really enjoy developing direct reports and managing other people Do you enjoy diving into the strategy or diving into the details and then creating a strategy? Do you want to focus more on the data or do you want to focus on operations? Do you want to, you know, work for a merchant or a vendor? What vertical do you want to be in? There are other industries that kind of are a Venn diagram with fraud that I've seen people get into for more opportunities like customer service. Um trust and safety, because while it does include and encompass fraud, there's definitely a lot of other aspects of trust and safety, um like content abuse and you know actual safety if you're in the marketplace industry. Another one that I really think is something good to look at is payments. Um, if you're just focused on fraud and if your company doesn't have a payments department, there is probably so much opportunity for you to save your company money like beyond. I mean, I told you that I saved a company $5 million a year just by digging into their how much they were paying their payment processor. It's not just pennies under the cushion. It can be millions depending on the size of the company. And depending on the contract, a lot of people think a lot of especially if finance is the one that set up the contract for payments uh, processing, they probably think that whatever rate the bank gave them is fair, but it's an unregulated industry. And You can definitely be paying a lot more than you should be. So that's one area that you can dive into and make yourself valuable to your company. But that's also a huge win to put on your resume, right? Also look at your company's decline rate and their authorization rate and then dive into the details and figure out why are orders declining? Is it because we're not sending CVV or AVS or is it because we're not sending level two or level three data and we have a bunch of business cards or is it because something in our setup or whatever it is, our MCC code is wrong. It can be so many things. And I've worked with some incredible people in payments, but I can tell you that there aren't enough people in payments to fill all the jobs and the focus. But I also think that there are not enough jobs available because every company should have at least one payments person. Make yourself useful and, you know, focus on some of those big wins. Because if your company doesn't appreciate it, the next company you go to will on your resume. That's definitely something I've learned from. Quoting my grandmother again, bloom where you're planted, but also again, network. That kind of goes back to what I said already, but attend conferences, volunteer to speak. at conferences, you might think that You don't know anything, but anyone that's worked in fraud for more than two to three years, I have yet to find anyone that I can't find something for them to speak about that other people will learn from. We all are in different paths, different verticals. We have different situations, different everything, but there's always something you can learn from people and everybody's doing things differently because... We are still teenagers and this industry, our industry is still teenagers. So, I mean, if you want an opportunity to speak, this is a total plug, but I am currently looking for merchant speakers for CMP Expo. It's in May, it's uh, May 21st, to 24th, I believe in San Francisco. And now's the time. So reach out to me if you think you might want to speak. I know it's super scary. (laughs) It was beyond scary for me. In fact, my husband and I were talking about it last night when I spoke at a conference for the first time. Time. I was terrified. I worked for like the small startup and the only companies that really went to the conference were like Apple and Amazon and all these companies that really seemed like they had their stuff together. And here I am just this young girl who works for a small company that nobody's really heard of. What do I have to share? My session was the morning after St. Patrick's Day in Las Vegas at 9am. They did that to me because they knew I was scared and nervous. And they're like, Oh, you got the hangover slot. Nobody's going to show up. Well, I learned the hard way that when you speak about chargebacks, you're going to have 200 people in the room. They may all still be drunk. <laughs> Some of them might be super hungover, but they're going to be there. Um, so I actually panicked and begged them to sneak in my boyfriend at the time to sit in the front row. And the poor guy, I just looked right at him the whole time and talked about bucks for an hour. But I was like, Hey, you got a free trip to Vegas. <laughs> you're sitting in the front row, buddy. So it's, I'm not glossing over the fact that it's not scary, but it's such a rewarding experience. And so many merchants after the first time they speak, they get this high and then they're like, when can I? speak again? Will you you know, bring me back next year? And the other perk is you get free registration to an awesome conference and get to meet hundreds of merchants in the industry, which is amazing. And you can do panels or you can do your own solo thing. Uh, talk to me if this is something that interests you. Uh, There are other conferences to speak at as well. There's also um, regional meetups. There's a lot more of them happening lately, either provided by vendors or on your own. If there isn't one in your your area, in your geographic area, create one. The merchant who created Women in Trust, she just did it because she saw a need. And now 40 to 50 women attend every single time. That's cool. And you can ask merchants to host. And if you want to have food and beverage paid for, you can ask a very nice vendor if they'd be willing to provide it and work something out with them or ask people to bring 10 bucks for pizza. It doesn't have to be fancy, right? If you don't want to speak in public, I understand that. (laughs) Not personally, obviously, because I'm currently being in public right now, but (laughs) you can write articles. You can post them on LinkedIn. I know cardnotpresent.com accepts articles from merchants, volunteer on committees, become a mentor officially or unofficially. I know um, I created a mentor program that's still functioning for the trade association I used to work for. Um, I believe it only happens at conferences, but that's still working as well as, you know, there's just a lot of people or be mentored. Um, I have a few people that I mentor that like, I'll get a text message at eight o'clock and be like, or in the morning and be like, Oh my gosh, I have a job interview. What should I say? What should I do? Or, or, you know, I have one person who contacts me a lot and she's a woman in the industry who I just, I don't know, I kind of taken her under my wing, like my little sister and she has been struggling with her current role. And, you know, I hope I've helped her kind of narrow down, like, what do you want to do? Don't just look for a job, look for something that's going to help you grow as a person, look for something that challenges you that you enjoy people that you work for, you love a company that appreciates you and a salary that's commiserate to all that. Be a little picky, know what's best for you. Be able to quantify your successes, right? I think that's something that a lot of us in front have a problem with, especially of my gender, but of all, everyone, well, not everyone. There are some people that are very good at quantifying other people's successes for themselves. (laughs) (laughs) I say that because I'm sure that that made everybody laugh. you know, be able to quantify, like I saved X amount, like I can say with absolute certainty, because I know the numbers that when I worked for Bar Steel, I was able to reduce their chargebacks by 97.5% in the first 18 months. Boom. That sounds pretty impressive. That's something that it, it takes a lot for me to brag, but I can quantify it and it can be a nice bullet point on my resume think outside the box. Like I said before, everything I'm working on now and everybody, I'm, you know, companies I'm working with and everything else, those didn't exist before. The position at Expedia was brand new. The position at Bar Steel was brand new. Don't be afraid to, and and it's not because I've really asked for them. It just has kind of happened that way, but know that you're not defined by just the jobs that are on job boards right now think outside the box again focusing on what you love and what what you enjoy and your network can be so powerful and you can reach out to a few people in your network when you're starting to look for a job or starting to think for a new opportunity and be like hey you know i'm looking i don't know if you have something at your company but if you know of anyone else i have heard some crazy stories about jobs that way i've been able to help several people get jobs that way and that's like the best thing ever it's so fulfilling for me consider a career coach I don't know many career coaches, but I do know one that is just exceptional. And not only are they a career coach, they were in payments and a little bit of fraud for over 20 years, finished their career as one of the top 1% of all managers at Google by, I don't know exactly how they quantify that, but you got a very large award for that. Everyone I know that worked for him at Google just thinks the absolute world of him. He's such a kind, smart, sweet man who really decided to have the second career and go into career coaching, probably because he helped a lot of people with their careers. I know a lot of people that he helped, and they're now doing big, huge things, but also just because he's an exceptional caring human. And he took a sabbatical from Google a couple of years ago and interviewed almost a hundred Google leaders and asked them career advice. And that was how he started down this path. And so like, how awesome is it to work with somebody who knows that information? So his name is Tracy Welk. I did not get Tracy's permission to plug him, but I believe since he's self-employed, like I am, he'll be okay with this. He's such a good person to get feedback and he knows this industry. So that's, I think is so cool. He gets it. He understands it. He might be able to help you think of a different career area in this industry that maybe you haven't thought about before. He also has a ton of connections. I don't think that that's part of his advertised services, but. He does. He spoke at CMP this last year and did an amazing job paralleling the growth of the payments industry to someone's personal career growth and the lessons that they could learn from it. I really wish that we could have made that available to everyone. Cause it was just so good. And I was proud of him because I was the one that asked him to speak. Um, <laughs> I'm just like Brett two years ago. So definitely, you know, if you're in a position to have a career coach, consider that also consider getting resume help. I don't think that all of us in fraud are that good at talking about ourselves or getting resume helps so know that it's okay to ask for help. Oh my gosh. How in the world did I talk for an hour? Okay. Well, I guess we all know. All right. <laughs> because I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um all right so i'm gonna try to wrap this up but here's a few more takeaways i wanted to provide you may just want to grow your career in your own company and go to that next extra step or just be the best manager that you can be and that is great and wonderful But there are a lot of people who are deciding especially lately i just feel like either it's because everyone in my network is looking or there's just a lot of people but i just feel like oh my gosh So many people, especially in senior roles, are looking for new opportunities right now. And there's probably, I could probably do a whole dissertation on all the different reasons why. But some of the things I suggest to those people is kind of think about what you want to focus on. Is there a specific vertical you've been in? Have you been in online ticketing for your entire career? Might be really hard adjustment to go to retail. Might also be a nice vacation because, oh my gosh, you have shipping addresses. How cool is that? But going from like retail to gaming, I've seen a few people go in like thinking that they're all that because they crushed it in, in the retail vertical and then they go to online gaming and they're like, this is not the same. Or they think that they can do the exact same thing and use the exact same tools. And that doesn't work out well for them. Do you want direct reports? Do you enjoy that? Is that part of what excites you or or not? You know, maybe you want to be a product manager or a program manager, a project manager within fraud. There are all those opportunities, but you know, being a single contributor, I just would say like, if you don't want to manage people, don't become a manager. I think we've all had managers like that and you'd just be doing the world service. (laughs) You know, like I said before, I think it's important to know do you want to be a big fish in a small pond or are you okay being a small fish in a big pond you can learn so much being a small fish in a big pond and sometimes having those big pond brand names on your resume doesn't hurt either Um, but sometimes you want to be the decision maker you want to be the subject matter expert then maybe you want to look for a smaller company do you want to work for a startup or do you want to work for a more established company Are you willing to relocate? Because that's a huge thing. In fact, today I was asked by one of my clients to consider a full-time position with them, but it would mean moving across the country. And as much as I love working with them, I'm lucky that I get to continue to work with them anyway, but um, I just can't take that position. And that's hard for me. And I've had to give up a lot of things like that. It's also ended up well. You know, do you want a broader focus like operations? I know a few fraud managers and directors who have moved into operations because they want a bigger challenge. They want a bigger focus. Fraud still usually falls underneath that, but doing that. And if you want to go from one step to another like that, you know, start shadowing people within your company that are in operations or in customer service or wherever. What do you want? What do you want in a manager and, or a, you know, leader, director, VP, whoever you report to, and what do you want in a company's approach towards fraud? I think those are important things to know, and it's important to know those things before you go into the interview. So many people just go in thinking, I just want a job, and sometimes even being really desperate because their current situation, their current company's attitude towards fraud isn't that great. They don't feel supported. There's one of you that I'm thinking about right now, and you know exactly who you are uh, <laughs> because you send me you send me emails, <laughs> uh, and I just always want to go out and buy you a beer, but you know, I know that some people are miserable and I've been there. Maybe start looking for a job before you start to get too miserable. That way you at least feel like you're doing something. That's always my advice to people. I think I've gotten really good at knowing when fraud managers and people and fraud want to look for another job because last week at the women's event, I uh, connected with somebody that I've only known via LinkedIn and email. And she started a new job recently and she was telling me about it. And I could tell within like five minutes that this was not where she's going to be for very long. And she said something about how she wanted to speak at CNP. and I said, I would love that. But do you think that you're going to be with your company at that point? And she said, oh my gosh, is it that obvious? <laughs> and I said, I've been around for a while. I know, I know the cues, I know the clues. But yeah, so, you know, if you're starting to feel like, okay, this may not change or this may not get better. There's not something in my control start looking before it gets too late but try not to be desperate because i think that i've just seen too many people get into roles that weren't right for them or you know maybe they would have seen those signs before if they just weren't so desperate reach out to select people in your network that you think can be of help i can be that person i can never and will never guarantee finding you a position i am not a recruiter that is not a job i want to go into like it's too much pressure on both sides but Um, I know a lot of great companies. I know a lot of great people. I'm happy to help on either side. And if you're connected with me on LinkedIn, you'll probably see me at least like once a week posting about something usually in the US that people reach out to me for and say, hey, I don't want to post this or like we haven't announced that we're looking for this, but can you put some feelers out for me? I'm happy to do that. I might at one point have to stop that because it might just become too much to manage like all the responses and everything. But I'm going to try to do that for as long as possible. Because again, I found my passion. It's helping you guys. If you have companies in your network that you want to work for, but you don't see any open positions, reach out. Ask if or when they might be hiring or they might have openings and what do they look for? Maybe there's something you can do in your job now that uh, would make you a better candidate for a role in the future, either for that company or another company. And then... Like I said before, I know that this is super merchant heavy and I apologize because I know there's a lot of great people that listen there on the vendor space, but um, I think a lot of the advice is similar, right? So like think about your strengths, the type of company you want to work for, what you know. So if your focus has been in international payments and then all of a sudden you're thinking about going into fraud, that might be a huge learning curve or that might be awesome. Just kind of think about it. You know, there are some amazing vendor companies and there are some that I personally think could be Better mostly because I hear feedback from merchants, you know. So just be aware of that. I have had a few vendors call me and say, Hey, I'm thinking about this company or this company. What have you heard about them? And I try to be super diplomatic about it, but sometimes I will say, mm, Or, you know what? They seem awesome. Now, I don't know everything. I don't, you know, I don't work in that environment, but at least my observations from the industry, or at least I know what people say about them. And then, you know, just be. If you're on the vendor side, I would be wary of companies with old school sales mentalities because if you've tried old school sales mentalities in this industry, you know, they don't work and you're probably just going to get frustrated. So if you know, you're working for a company who thinks that dialing for dollars and cold calling all the time is going to be super productive, that may not set you up for success. Oh my gosh. Brett's going to give me so much crap because his episode was under an hour and mine's now over. Sorry guys. <laughs> this was by popular demand. I hope it was helpful. Please do give us feedback. I mean, if the feedback is like, don't ever do a solo podcast by yourself again, Chris like do think that that might make me cry, but I'll also probably go, eh, you're probably right. My husband actually joked last week when I told him that Brett was going to do an episode by himself. He was like, wouldn't that suck if that was the highest downloaded episode that you guys have ever done? I was like, Oh, will probably, that'll probably happen. So we're not in competition. I'm saying that because I'm pretty sure I'd lose. So, okay. I'm going to wrap that up. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to go hang out with my family because it's nighttime because I had a busy work day. As you guys, you guys know the drill, right? Like, please reach out to us. Let us know. Um, tell your friends, rate and review the podcast where you can, because... That's super important. It helps other people find us. And we're so humbled that we have so many awesome reviews on iTunes. Thank you. Uh, If you use other platforms, feel free to rate and review there too, or keep adding to iTunes. I hope that you guys have learned some things. Thank you for joining me on this abnormal podcast. I will be so happy when Brett's back and when I can put the microphone on mute and take a drink of water, (laughs) you know, please do subscribe also to the podcast. And then we always want to hear from you what you love about the podcast, how we can improve what topics you want to hear us discuss. The reason I talked about this topic for an hour is because I've had so many people ask me about it. So I hope that for the people that have asked about it, that, that this helped answer a few things. I mean, it's hard to be general, but that really is a lot of the advice that I give people when they ask. I'm a little behind on my LinkedIn messages right now. So hopefully this uh, can help me answer some of those too. <laughs> you can find Online Fraudcast on Facebook, on our website, OnlineFroadcast.com, or find us individually on LinkedIn. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure.